This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning church. Great to see you here today. My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor. If you are new or visiting, I'd love to add my welcome to James's. Great to see you here today. I do want to speak very briefly about pledging before we dive into the message this morning. You were supposed to have these cards in front of you still because the next step is the QR code on there, but I realized we just collected them. That was a bit of an oversight. Whoops. But they, these will be available at the Connect Desk this morning if you would like to scan that and uh, complete your pledge. Uh, what I do want to mention is that part of this process is helping us to make informed decisions about how we spend and steward the resources that you've entrusted to us for the year ahead. And rather than just guessing and hoping that we're going to be able to do what we want to do next year, the pledge is really uh, going to help inform that decision for us. And so what we really need is as close to 100% of our church family doing that as possible. The more people that pledge, the more accurate we can figure out what the next 12 months will look like. And just so you know, um, I mean, realistically, our costs are going to remain fairly similar to what they were this year. Um, and so that equates to around $40,000 a month. And so the quest, question that we're asking you is what part can you play in helping pledge towards that target, that goal, that monthly target that we need to reach of around $40,000 a month to see what we do here at Anchor Church. Now, if more is pledged, then great. We can do some extra things that we weren't anticipating. Um, but that's the kind of like level target we're aiming for for next year. And we really, really do need everyone to do this. If only half of our church does this, then we're still kind of guessing in the dark at what the other 50% of our church community will be committing to in the year ahead. And it is very difficult for Mitch to, you know, kind of, I mean, he's he can obviously look back at the past and we can speculate what it might be like. But the last few years have been turbulent and tumultuous and half our church is new and so to really help Mitch and the board set a responsible, faith-filled budget for the year ahead, we're really asking for everyone who says, this is my church, this is my family, to do that. So you can scan the QR code. If you don't have the QR code and you have socials, just go onto Instagram, click the, the, uh, the link tree there, and all of the next steps are there. That's, it's, it's the same thing as what's on that QR code. So uh, I would ask you to prayerfully and intentionally let us know what your commitment to giving will be next year. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word this morning. So please join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a compassionate God, a God who is merciful, a God who cares, a God who has demonstrated your love to us in sending your, your one and only Son, Jesus, uh, who gave up what was His in heaven to walk the dusty roads of this earth and to die a brutal, gruesome death in our place to set us free. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at your word now, that you would convict us and challenge us about what it means to be a people who are just like you. And I pray this in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 this morning as we um, consider what it means to be a compassionate people in our partnership with Compassion Australia. So if you have a a Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have one, the verses will be on the screen behind me. And we believe here at Anchor that God's Word is living and active. And so my hope this morning is that this Word would produce genuine, tangible 
compassion and love in the lives of our people. So let's go have a look at this passage. It's very, probably, you know, one of the top two most famous parables that Jesus ever told. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. This is the parable of the good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself and so he replied, uh, sorry, he wanted to justify himself and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these two do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, this morning is Compassion Sunday, and I wanted to introduce you to our two uh, Compassion kids that we've been sponsoring. The first is uh, Indago. He is from Kenya. We've been sponsoring Indago, I think, for probably the best part of the last 16 years or so. Uh, the church that we we're a part of prior to Anchor had a partnership with Compassion, and Tash and I, as newlyweds, decided that we would sponsor a child, and we have been sponsored. Uh, we have been sponsoring Indago for the last couple of years. And it's beautiful to see the pictures as they come through every year of him growing up and the stories and the letters that we have got. It's been a wonderful joy to see that journey. And more recently, as uh, Anchor has had a partnership with the four centers in Cebu City uh, and, a, and a like a really targeted partnership in the Philippines, we have chosen to also sponsor Kesha, who has been uh, with us for the last couple of years as well as Anchor started this partnership. And it's been a joy and a privilege to see those children grow up, to write and receive letters and to pray for those kids. Uh, often at times we have used this as a discipleship tool for our own children, help our kids see what it looks like to grow up in a context outside of Australia, to give them a bit of perspective, to lift their eyes beyond their first world problems that they experience here in Sydney and give them a perspective for how other children grow up and the context that they live their lives in. We really love the Compassion Partnership here at Anchor and uh, I think it's been one of our most enduring and fruitful partnerships that we've had over the years um, and I just want to say a huge thank you to Paul who's in the room this morning on behalf of Anchor. Thank you for what you guys do. We love the work of Compassion and it genuinely is our great privilege to be able to 
work with them to do what we simply couldn't do here in Sydney. Uh, they connect us with the local church in Cebu in such a beautiful, rich and meaningful way. And so we're super, super thankful for them. Well, we are going to dive into God's Word this morning very briefly. And then after I've shared a few thoughts on Luke chapter 10, we do have uh, a guest this morning, CJ, who will be joining me on stage in a few moments. But let me, let me just orient this um, today with, with some few, a few quick thoughts on this story here that Jesus tells to the expert in the law. He has a question about um, how he, what he must do to inherit eternal life. Uh, Jesus asks him what he thinks the answer would be. You know, just Jesus, he's, he's always really good at answering questions with another question. The answer that the teacher, the expert in the law gives him is, um, you know, the two great commandments, love God and love others. Jesus says, that's it. You've nailed it. Do that and you will live. But the expert in the law, um, and, and this is really a part of what was a, a large debate in the first century around um, who, who really was their, their neighbor? Who did they have an obligation and duty to care for? There was a very large debate around that. Did it include the Gentiles? Did it include the Samaritans? Who, who really were they? Were it just the people that lived either side of your house or the people who were in your particular tribe and clan? Who was my neighbor? And so seeking to justify himself and perhaps even put a little fence around his obligation and minimize the extent to which Jesus has just affirmed that this man ought to love everyone. He says to him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this parable, the parable of a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a very well-known route. In fact, you can walk it today. It's a mountainous route. It's very narrow. And it says in this story that a man is traveling this very direct route, and he is mugged, he's rolled, however you want to put it. Has anyone ever been rolled here at, in your high school days? One, one of you has, right? Two of you, yeah. The people that grew up in, in Western Sydney, like, yeah, every, every, every. I still remember a couple of my mates got rolled at Pennant Hills train station back in the day. It was like it was a really big deal because Pennant Hills, you know, that was unheard of. You just didn't get rolled in the nice, wealthy, middle-class suburbs of the Hills District. But uh, it happens, believe it or not. But here this man is mugged on his way. He's beaten. He's stripped of everything. He's left half dead. And Jesus, really importantly, introduces a number of key characters to this story. The first character that happens to walk past this man in need is a priest. Now, a priest is someone who uh, was a part of the Levitical tribe of Israel. They had been set apart for service to God in the temple. Part of their duty was to act as a mediator between God and the people and the people and God. Their role was to offer prayers, to oversee the sacrificial system, to be a part of all of the ceremonial duties that took place as a part of the temple worship. They had a very key and central part to play in that process. And a part of what was required of them was, was what they called ceremonial cleanness. That is, in order to go near to the presence of God, you had to be ceremonially clean. You had to be washed. You had to be pure. A part of that was offering sacrifices, a cleansing ritual that that took place. And so here is a priest. He's on his way to Jerusalem as well. And he happens to walk past this man, walk on the other side of the road, which um, I saw some photos of this actual location this week. Uh, There is no other side. It's like a one-way track, right? There is no other side of the road here. Chances are the priest probably would have had to step over the man in in seeking to go around him. And so perhaps as Jesus says, maybe I need to do a bit of work there in the text, but perhaps Jesus is saying he went around the other side as a bit of a 
it's a bit of you know poetic license there to just say this this guy really went out of his way to avoid this man by stepping over him. The priest is the first character that we introduce to here. The second is a Levite, again part of the, the the priestly tribe here, someone who had a significant important role, uh, someone with whom the people of God venerated and looked up to, and he likewise goes around the man who crosses over the other side of the road to avoid him. Now, as Jesus is telling this story here, most of the first century hearers would be waiting. They know the setup, right? They know how stories work. They know that characters are introduced for a purpose and they're waiting for the next character to turn up and all of them are anticipating a layman, right? Someone who doesn't have a special religious duty, but just an ordinary Jewish person who is there going to help this man in need. And Jesus doesn't do what they're expecting to do. Instead, he introduces the next character, who is a Samaritan. Now, if you've grown up in church, going to Sunday school, you you know all of the socially embedded stuff in this story. So it's not a shock or a surprise to us, because of course, we've, we've read the story a thousand times, but to Jesus' original hearers, this was both shocking and confronting that he would introduce a Samaritan at this point in the story. Because a Samaritan, as far as the Jews were concerned, were both half-breds and heretics. These were people who, as a part of the Babylonian or Assyrian conquest, one of those two, the northern tribes of Israel, instead of being completely wiped out, as the, as the, the nation came in, they just forced the people to intermarry creating a mixed race of people. They they knew that Israel had laws around not marrying someone from another ethnic background. And so part of it was to dilute the purity of these people, as well as the fact that the Samaritans worshipped and believed another location, another geographic location for the temple. And so the Jews had a lot of animosity, hatred towards the Samaritans. And Jesus introduces this character into the story to shock his original hearers, to shock them. You know, we've often heard um, that parables are like heavenly stories with an earthly meaning. You know, sorry, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's like a cute little story to teach us a little ditty about something. that This is not the case. Parables often have the intent and purpose to shock people. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He wants to shake them out of their complacency, particularly around the question of, Who is my neighbor? Jews were known to pray that, ask God that the Samaritans would never experience eternal life. And isn't it interesting that the expert in the law comes asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus inserts a Samaritan into the very story. Well, the Samaritan here, this unlikely helper, arrives at this man's need, and he does what the other two have failed to do in the story. He hops off his donkey and he attends to the man's needs. And it says there um, in verse in verse something, 33, it says there that where he came to the, where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. That word, if you, if you read in other translations, the word is actually he had compassion on him. And, I, and is, is this where compassion gets its Name from it is from this parable because that word there is the word that uh, compassion or pity that is translated, and it means to feel a deep guttural empathy for someone, a, a, a feeling that erupts out of us that manifests itself in action. 
the Samaritan here helps. He's motivated by pity, by compassion, by deep empathy. Now, compassion here, it's not like slacktivism, right? It's not like the Samaritan just thought, oh, I'm going to advocate for this guy. I'm going to just shoot a tweet out to the universe. Guys, we should all be caring for people who find themselves in need on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, right? He does something. Compassion means that he, he is moved to action. He is, he's moved to doing something to immediately care for this man's needs. He gets off. He tends to the man's needs. There is a cost. There is a cost here. Now, some speculate that part of the reason why, we don't really know the reason why the first two characters stepped over the man. And like Jesus probably doesn't have a reason either. But part of it may be ceremonial uncleanliness. Part of it may be the risk of like, is this a trap? If I get off and help, will I be the one who gets mugged? Is this guy just acting there? But there is a cost, an absolute cost to this Samaritan's actions here. He gets off. He uses two expensive items of wine and oil to tend to the man's injuries. He puts the man on his own donkey, meaning that he will then need to walk the rest of the journey to where he is going. He arrives at an inn and he checks the man into the inn and at his own expense, he begins to pay for what is required for this man's needs. The next day he leaves and then effectively just gives the innkeeper a blank check. It says, spend whatever you need. When I get back, I will cover all of the costs that are required to care for this man. This is love, not just by sentiment, not just by advocacy that gets the word out there, but this is love in action. I'm reminded of that verse from John chapter 3, uh, 1 John chapter 3, 18, where he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Compassion is deep empathy that manifests itself in action. It's not just feeling something, but feeling and doing something. That is what motivates and drives this man. Jesus gets to the end of this clever and confronting story and says to the expert in the law, which of these two do you think acted like a neighbor? Which of these two do you think was the one who was a neighbor, not who is my, Jesus changes the question, right? To not who is my neighbor, but who was a neighbor. And the expert in the law can't even get the words off his lips. He can't even say Samaritan. He just says, the one who cared for the man. Jesus then finishes this parable with these profound words. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, I've heard a lot of, lot of stories, a lot of sermons on this parable that effectively just seek to mute and water down the imperative of Jesus saying to this man, you should, you should do this. This is how you should live. Care and concern for people. They just go all the way back to the side. So, no, no, the context is a question about how to inherit eternal life. It's a question of how you get into heaven. But you notice here that when Jesus says to the expert in the law, do this and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. This is not just about a question of how I get into heaven at the end. This is a question of how we live our lives now in the present moment. Being a, the fo a follower of Jesus, an apprentice to him is not an intellectual assent to a statement of beliefs. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And it's a life that looks upon the needs and brokenness of this world and steps out in empathy 
and compassion and pity and does what we can generously. Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I think that has an important implication for us, his people. I think this is a prophetic critique that Jesus offers of that first century question of who is my neighbor? How far out do I have to expand my concern and care before I've done what I'm supposed to do? That's the real question. And what Jesus does here is he redefines not only who to love, but how to love. And I was pondering kind of this command from us, uh, for, for us today. What does it look like for us to be obedient to the go and do likewise in a world that is so global that we know exactly what's happening in Cebu, in the Philippines? Like we know that there has been Typhoon Rai who has come through and devastated that community. We know that there are floods happening right now in our world and bushfires and earthquakes and natural disasters and corruption. We know that the poor are in need. What does it look like for us who know these things and are connected to these stories to be a people who would step out and meet the desperate brokenness of this world with compassionate action? I don't really have an answer to that question, but perhaps you can kick that round in GCs this week. But I think it's easy for us to be cynical about what we can possibly do. But I think the beautiful thing about partnership with compassion is that they make it so simple. They make it so simple for us to be obedient to Jesus' command, go and do likewise. And they connect us with the local church. And they connect us with holistic care of children, not just meeting their immediate physical needs, but meeting their needs holistically, their spiritual needs, their emotional needs, and their physical needs. And so this morning, we have the wonderful joy and privilege of having CJ with us this morning. And he's going to share his testimony about what it meant for him to grow up in one of Compassion Centers. So I'm going to invite CJ onto the stage. Could you please give him a big, warm anchor welcome? Hello, good morning everybody. Hi, I'm CJ from the Philippines. Sorry, my voice, I I lost my voice. But if you hear me breaking my voice, I'm 27, I'm not a teenager anymore. Um, Anyways, hi, I'm from the Philippines and this church right here, like your setup here reminds me of my church back in the Philippines. And yeah, so when we start a service, the minister would always start with a call and response. And it's from that famous Don Moen song, God is good all the time. So when my minister say God is good, the people in the congregation would say all the time with passion. I'm not sure here in Anchor Church if you're passionate about God's goodness and believing that he is good all the time. So let me do that today. If I say God is good, you will respond all the time, but with passion, okay? So God is good. Uh, a little bit passionate for Filipinos. Like, so Australians, let's go. God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Yes, all the time. Growing up, I always would hear that call and response that God is good all the time. I'm dragged to church by my mom and I'm probably going to be seated on the back end corner of the church. And hearing that God is good all the time as a child was very difficult for me to understand. How come God is good? That when I know that people around me are living in the same community 
or probably they go to church hungry. They go to church without a job. They go to church and come back to a home where it's not really a home. So how come God is good? So at first, when I was growing up, it was really difficult for me to understand and grasp the idea of God's goodness. And so I thought, maybe God is good to some people. Or maybe God is good. Maybe God is not good to me. Or maybe some of these people around me are faking it. I live in the Philippines in a South Island called Mindanao, where back in the day there was drugs, terrorism, a lot of child trafficking happening. And it was very, very normal for people. Because these things, extreme injustice, is normal to everyday life. And poverty was there. No jobs around for people. So how come God is good? I was raised by a single mother because my dad left us when I was young. We had to, my mom had to work longer hours away from home for us to survive. When I first came here in Australia, I went inside a bathroom and I remembered, wow, your bathrooms here in Australia was way bigger than what I used to call home way back then. My home way back then was a small box made of thin plywood as our walls and we have tin roofs with holes in it that when it rains, it actually pours inside my home. And living in a small home at night, I would hear my mom crying because she struggled so much raising up a, a kid. And so growing up, I thought, wow, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe that's why my father left. Maybe that's why my mom is struggling so much. We can't afford the basic needs. We have no light. We have no running water. And that is so, so difficult for a child to have hope. What is hope even? If you live around a community where everyone was just there to live day by day, having the same problems. The absence of my dad left a hole in my heart that I thought, wow, I'm in love, I'm not worthy. A few weeks ago was Father's Day. Growing up when it's Father's Day at school, we have to make those beautiful cards as part of the art um, class and we have to be graded. So during that day, I would pray to God that I'd be sick because I don't want to go out there and everyone celebrating their dads and I can't relate because I have no one to celebrate it with. So we have to make those beautiful Father's Day cards and it's graded so I have to make it and I would put down words that I don't even know. I love you, Dad. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for caring for us. At the end of the day, everyone would go home, hand their letters to their dads. I would be going home, throwing it in the bin because I have no one to give it to. It was difficult to understand God's goodness, going to church and hearing God's goodness. And then I came to a point where I said to myself and pray that, Lord, if you exist and you're, if you're real, maybe it's time for you to actually show up and be a God like to me. And that's when compassion started. I was not really, I don't really have any idea what compassion was before then. It was just a gathering of children. We go there for stories. We go there to eat. And that was my main motivation, food coming there and playing with them. And then I learned about the news that I got sponsored. She's a teenager from the U.S., so I receive a letter. I don't understand what sponsorship is. I receive a letter from Victoria. Her name is Victoria from the US saying, hi, I'm your sponsor. I receive a photo of her. 
She's a white person. I'm in, in the, I'm in the Philippines in the bottom. I have not seen a white person in my life because we don't have a tally. And she started writing me letters and letters telling me about herself, about where she came from. And at first I thought, wow, she's really bored. She's found entertainment in writing letters to me. As a young child, I didn't really understand why she asking me about my favorite things. Like, okay. Because I thought at first, Victoria's going to get bored writing all those letters and then abandon me because I'm always afraid that everyone's just going to leave. That's what my thought, because even if my dad left, Victoria will leave as well. But no, Victoria continued supporting me for 16 years until I finished university. And she would always remind me through letters that I am loved, that I have a future, that she cares for me, that she knows me and she sees me, and that God sees me, that God created me. Words that I don't even hear from my family. And those words are actually kept hidden in my heart. I treasured them and started believing. Maybe this is God's way of telling me that, hey, CJ, this is love. That from the distance from the U.S. to the Philippines, this is love. That these words means love. And that sparked hope in me that, oh, wow. Maybe God is showing me that he's real, that I am created for a purpose. And so I opened myself up to that identity that God has made in me, that I have a purpose. And I started going to church and learning more and becoming curious more about Jesus. And that, I think that's the best thing that compassion has ever provided, more than the health care, dental care, the educational assistance, is to get to know Jesus. So when I started uni, I made a group with me, and then we were passionate with that movement. We created a movement called We Are Young Movement. We went to schools around the city and just showed that children can have hope. We work with churches. We work with the um, Department of Education. And we've really provided that movement is still on today. And um, We Are Young Movement is still relevant today, going to communities and just showing people that there's hope by showing the love of God. I studied university at the age of 15. I took bachelor's degree in development communication and I finished at the age of 20. And that's because God is good. And Victoria believed in me. My church believed in me and my family believed in me. 20 years ago, Victoria chose a child packet might have my face on it. And I praise God that probably I was cute when I was young. That's why, that's why she picked that child packet. But that, my friend, was her obeying God that during that night, I would choose to sponsor CJ. She, he is from that poor community in the Philippines. But that decision of Victoria broke the cycle of poverty in my family. In my village, I'm the first one who ever stepped into a university and the first one who ever graduated university. And that's breaking the cycle of poverty. That when people think in my village that once you're born poor, you live poor and you die poor, it's okay. But God is breaking cycles because God is using people like Victoria to change a child's life. And I believe that I am a, 
a life that has been changed because of a decision of someone far away from the Philippines who believed that, okay, God is calling me to do this. And there are more children around the world today who need help, who need prayers, and who need support. We've got kids with us here today at the back end there waiting to be sponsored. $48 a month here in Australia when I started working here and earning. For us, it's like, pew. But in the Philippines, or where I come from, the amount of support that you get is so much that it changed someone's life. We're no longer living in that same community. We live in a better house now. My mom runs her own business. I've got a stable job here. And that's because God is good. Who would have thought that a child from that poor community would be uprooted from there and now sharing this testimony to you guys? That's because God is good. Thank you so much for giving me this time. And I hope and I pray that you guys will just pray about it and just pray about it and always believe that God is good all the time. Thank you so much. What an incredibly powerful testimony. And I want to encourage you, church, to action what CJ has encouraged you to do this morning and head to the back after this service and have a look at the kids that are there, some who have been waiting for sponsors for almost a year. Uh, We have the opportunity today to make a real, tangible and significant difference in the lives of kids. I mean, CJ's story is remarkable, but that story has been and is being told over and over and over again. In fact, the Philippine uh, Compassion Australia in the last 12 months alone has been able to release over 133,000 children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's just Australia. I mean, imagine what the US and the UK are doing, the, the impact that Compassion is having across the globe. Over $100 million sent to kids who are in need, caring for their holistic needs, And so this morning, my challenge is not to give up coffee, because I don't think we need to give up coffee. Perhaps some of you might need to, but that's that's a tough ask, right? If you're saying give up a coffee, I'm like, no, I can do both. I can do coffee and a a sponsor kid, you know. Um, But the reality is it's, it's 12 bucks a week. It is the equivalent of two coffees a week. And so would you be the hands and feet of Jesus, the, the, the person who embodies Jesus' command to go and do likewise this morning? Head to the back. Have a look at those kids' names. Preferably consider what you could do. The request is not to take those profiles home with you. Uh, if, if you would like time to consider it, uh, you can sponsor kids. We'll, we'll get a unique anchor link to you that you can do that in the next week. So please don't take those cards home. If you want to preferably consider that and you have, feel like you haven't had enough time to do that over the last couple of weeks of us announcing that and you need more time, feel free to do that. But this morning, head to the back if you would like to write a letter to your existing sponsored child. So we have over 100 uh, sponsored kids here at Anchor who have been sponsored by people from this church. If you would like to write them a letter and send an updated photo, there's a Polaroid camera. There's a letter writing station up there. You have just heard the powerful testimony of words of hope that are spoken over these kids' lives. And so if that's you, take a moment to write a letter to your sponsored child, get a photo, send that off. Paul and the team will look after that for you today. But I, I'm so proud of this church community. We are 
uh, for the last 10 years have made a significant impact in Cebu City. And I promise you that um, there are people, there are young children in that city who are telling the exact same story that CJ is telling of a sponsor who from Australia, from Sydney, Australia, cared enough to make a tangible difference in their life with child sponsorship. So can I commend that to you this morning? We are going to respond this morning in worship together and the Lord's Supper.